0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
1: I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington, and this week on Face the Nation, a rare cluster of December tornadoes leave a catastrophic trail through the southeast and midwest as COVID cases continue to spike in the colder temperatures. Dozens of devastating tornadoes tore through the nation's midsection late Friday. The death toll continues to rise as the affected states scramble to find the missing and to help those who've lost everything.
2: This is likely to be one of the largest tornado outbreaks in our history. It's profound.
1: We'll get the latest from two governors from the affected states, Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson plus Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir.
3: And it's unlike anything that any of us have ever seen the sheer devastation.
1: What caused the extreme weather conditions that triggered these deadly tornadoes? We'll ask CBS News meteorologist and climate specialist, Jeff Berardelli. Then Delta's winter wave gains ground in the Northeast with Omicron right behind it. New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu will be here. His state is now the nation's top hotspot. We'll also talk with Tulio de Oliveira, the researcher who discovered the Omicron variant in South Africa. Former FTA Commissioner That's Dr. Scott Gottlieb question. will also be here. Finally, inflation is now at near a 40-year high, and price increases continue to hit consumers hard. Economist Mohamed Alarian will join us for analysis. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. We begin today with the aftermath of Friday's trail of tornadoes that barreled through six states, including Arkansas, Missouri, Mississippi, Tennessee, Illinois, and Kentucky. CBS News has confirmed 25 deaths at this point, and that number will go higher, especially in Kentucky. Our David Begno reports from the devastated town of Mayfield.
4: Good morning, Margaret. As the mural behind me reads, Welcome to Mayfield, more than a memory. Memories are all that some people here have left because, as Kentucky's governor said, I've got some towns that have gone. Devastating death and destruction this weekend as more than 30 tornadoes ripped through six states from Arkansas all the way up to Illinois. Hardest hit appears to be Kentucky, where the governor says one long track tornado ran 227 miles from Arkansas right into his state.
3: This event uh, is the worst Most devastating, most deadly tornado event in Kentucky's history.
4: The tornado that hit the city of Mayfield, Kentucky sent debris six miles into the air. It could be one of the most intense and longest tornadoes ever recorded. Entire blocks are nothing but rubble now.
5: I can't believe that our town is gone now.
4: Barbara Tate was inside the now flattened candle factory here in Mayfield. She was one of more than 100 people inside the factory working on holiday orders.
5: People hollering for, help me, help me. And you crying and want to help them, but you can't help them because you're trying to help yourself.
4: So far, about 40 people have made it out safe. But the governor said it's going to be a miracle if they find anybody else alive. In Arkansas, a nursing home saw its roof ripped right off, beds thrown into the parking lot. One resident died. Everyone else was safely evacuated. The state's governor toured the area Saturday.
6: What struck me the most is that there was not uh, more of that uh, uh, lost their life.
4: The governor of Tennessee credited evacuations for limiting the state's death toll to four. In Edwardsville, Illinois, the roof of an Amazon warehouse collapsed with the workers still inside. At least six people were killed. Rescue workers worked from sunup to sundown, desperately looking for any signs of life. It's still unclear how many people are missing.
0: There are no words to assuage the pain of
3: losing a loved one.
4: That is a pain Kentucky's governor says he almost felt himself.
3: It's really hard and uh, really painful. I spent eight hours wondering if one of my cousins was still alive.
4: Just driving here this morning, we noticed that in farm fields with nothing else around, no buildings for miles, there are trucks and dumpsters and pieces of homes So you realize that these were whipped into the air like toys and tossed all over the state of Kentucky. Margaret.
1: David Bagno, thank you. We go now to CBS News meteorologist and climate specialist Jeff Berardelli, who joins us from New York. Jeff, these tornadoes appear to be historic in strength and devastation. What can you tell us?
7: Well, it's extraordinarily rare for December. December is usually our most quiet month. But look at this map right here. So let's talk about the factors that led to this. Now, as in any tornado outbreak, you have a huge contrast between cold to the north and warm to the south. What was unusual is just how warm it was. Memphis hit a record high of 80 degrees, and that's why we think that climate change is beginning to factor in. But I think the bigger factor is La Nina, and I'll tell you why. La Nina is present right now, and the latest research shows that we see an increase in tornado activity right there where we had the tornado outbreak on Friday night in the mid-Mississippi Valley area. So that's the overriding factor. So climate change, let's talk about that. I should first say that there's no trend in tornado numbers due to climate change. However, it may be making the environment more favorable, especially on outbreak days because you add more warmth, more energy. It's like storms on steroids and more moisture. That's a more favorable environment for supercell thunderstorms and tornadoes. I think the biggest shift we're seeing because of climate change, the latest research shows a shift in the actual location of the increase in tornadoes across the Mississippi Valley into the Mid-South area. That is a more densely populated area, and they tend to happen at night, which makes these tornadoes more dangerous.
1: Margaret? Important context. Thank you, Jeff. And we go now to the governor of Kentucky, Andy Beshear. Good morning to you, Governor, and our deepest condolences.
3: Thank you. It's a, a tough morning. It's uh, devastation like none of us have ever seen before. Uh, we know, I know that we've lost now more than 80 people, but it's going to exceed 100. A, a, a um, but we're digging out. Uh, we are tough. We're going to grieve, and, and then we're going to rebuild.
1: The president said you told him this looked like a war zone, but worse. So where are you in the, the search and rescue or search and recovery?
3: Well, the search and rescue continues, um, both at that candle factory, which will be the, the largest loss of life throughout the, the city of Mayfield, which is just leveled and, and gone. Uh, half of my dad's hometown, Dawson Springs, um, doesn't exist anymore. Um, where I know our, our emergency management people are out there um, going door to door, but there aren't any doors. Um, a lot of this is going through the blocks and the rubble. If you can reach it, and and trying to see if there are people there um, dead or alive.
1: Before the tornado hit, you said Kentucky was short on nurses. I've read you're now short on housing as well. Uh, What kind of assistance do you need?
3: Well, what we're doing right now is opening up our our state parks and welcoming in any family uh, that needs help. Uh, But we're also good people that look out after one another. And we opened 11 shelters, there's only six still open because in in times of difficulty, um, we open our doors um, to family and and sometimes even to to strangers. It's been amazing to see the outpouring of support from other Kentucky communities and communities around. Um, What we're gonna need as we move forward though, is, is this is, I mean, massive damage, rebuilding of entire communities. Um, we're going to have lost thousands of, of of homes because when this tornado hit, it didn't rip a roof off. I mean, it obliterated um, uh, houses, just totally gone. Um, so there's going to be a, a lot of work and, and Kentuckians need to know that we're going to be with them and the country's going to be with them, not just today um, and not just this week, but in the months and, and even the years to come.
1: As you rebuild, how do you account for what seems to be extraordinarily extreme weather
3: well as of today just uh, a day after um, we're worried about finding uh, other kentuckians we're we're, we're worried about uh, providing uh, shelter for them we are grieving with so Mm -hmm. many families and um, we'll worry about or think about the cause once we have everybody
1: stabilized i've read that the youngest fatality was a five-month-old as you said, well, I know, I'm sorry, go ahead.
3: I know we've lost a number of kids. I know we lost a, a, a three-year-old in Graves County, too. I think we lost maybe a five-year-old in, in Muhlenberg County. Um, a death in, in this, this, this tornado didn't discriminate anybody in its path, even if they were trying to be safe. Again, just, just like nothing we've ever seen before.
1: And I know the country's hearts go out to you. Is there anything that people at home who are listening can do to help the people of Kentucky?
3: Well, we will continue to accept every prayer that we can get. We are hoping for miracles as as today is really day two of trying to find people. Um, We've also set up a a fund specifically connected to the state that is going to go solely uh, to the families uh, in western Kentucky that have been hit. That's the team wky relief gov. It's going to be fully transparent and make sure that Well, first we're going to help people with funeral expenses and then we're going to help them rebuild knowing, uh, that that the costs they're going to face, um, are going to be long term. But I, I want to thank the entire country. You, you, you have been there with us. Um, we appreciate the love and, and the support. Um, we are tough people. We're going to get through it and it's not going to be easy. Um, I'm still uh, emotional after a couple of days. Just learned that my uncle lost a couple of cousins in in Muhlenberg County. So we're going to make it. Um, um, We're going to see the other side and we're going to rebuild.
1: I know you will. And I know the country will be hoping and pulling for you. And my condolences to your family as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. And we're going to go now to Arkansas and their Governor, Asa Hutchinson, who joins us from Rogers. Good morning to you, Governor. I know I know. Uh, uh, good morning, Margaret. I know you lost um, at least two people in your state, and and we are sorry for your losses. Um,
6: well, uh, thank you and and our heart goes out to Kentucky as well. They clearly got hit uh, in a more severe manner. Uh, probably the same tornado. We're looking forward to having more information, but uh, we lost one, uh, which is a miracle that we only lost one in a nursing home in Monette, uh, Arkansas, and uh, there uh, the staff did an incredible job of using their own body to shield some of the residents and uh, the fact that there was a warning system in place helped them to move them into the hallway that saved lives and really emphasized the importance of the early warning system, the sirens, and taking action whenever you hear that.
1: Absolutely, um, I-, I read that you have about twenty thousand people without power. What is recovery and cleanup like for you right now? What do you need?
6: Well. If- Uh, First of all, I did declare an emergency that allowed our emergency workers to move and to uh, work extra hours and to uh, take the steps that are necessary in the recovery. Uh, uh, We did have over 20,000 out of power. That has been reduced significantly. Uh, Our power companies are doing an extraordinary job of restoring electricity. But what happens now is this is a very unusual event. It's almost like the tornado going through Arkansas picked uh, cities along the path. Many times there are more rural areas. Here we hit multiple towns causing enormous uh, loss of homes and businesses. So the recovery is going to be longer. Uh, I would encourage people to look at uh, their uh, American Red Cross, uh, the church groups that help us in providing uh, immediate housing uh, but also water and that's a way that everybody can help Uh, through those type of organizations that are on the scene. We've got to assess the damage. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got to first, of course, get uh, everybody uh, in uh, shelter that they need, and we're quickly taking action on that.
1: I know these are early days, but do you have any kind of, of cost estimate for the level of damage? I know there's that big infrastructure package and money in there coming your way. Do you know if any of it will be enough?
6: Uh, it's too early to tell on that, but uh, we have hundreds and hundreds of homes that have been lost, businesses that have been totally destroyed. Uh, there's going to be, of course, uh, the shelter and other costs associated with. And there's a lot of of public uh, uh, infrastructure that has been damaged through this, from fire stations to otherwise. Uh, I talked to President uh, Biden yesterday. He assured they would cut through any red tape that was necessary they want to help in the response and uh, so that helps build confidence we've got to make the assessment and then determine exactly what those dollar figures are and it's too early to tell at this point
1: mm-hmm. in looking at what's been happening in your state you started the year with some extreme weather events and now you're here how do you prepare for these kind of dramatic weather events now that you rebuild do you have to approach things differently?
6: Well, we do. Uh, I mean, first, uh, you look back uh, in my administration, uh, we've had the uh, historic uh, 500-year flood. Uh, We've had, uh, of course, uh, tornadoes. We've had, of course, the uh, winter uh, freezing event uh, that uh, caused us to uh, lose power. And so uh, these extreme weather events, uh, we're having to spend more time in preparing for. Uh, We're trying to build the resiliency. We're trying to uh, build our recovery efforts. And, you know, the infrastructure uh, bill that was passed in Congress will help us uh, to address some of these needs, particularly in our water infrastructure, but also our levee system and our irrigation systems that are part of our infrastructure that are damaged by these severe weather events, particularly the flooding
1: hmm Well, I know, Governor, the country is watching, and prayers will be sent your way by so many who are listening to you right now. Thank you very much, and good luck. We'll be back. Thank you. In just one minute.
7: Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about, all from the comfort of your home, isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret?
1: That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. The Omicron variant has now been reported in 27 states, but Delta is still much more prevalent and more severe. CBS News senior national correspondent Mark Strassman reports.
2: Call it Thanksgiving's COVID hangover. Average number of cases up 37% from last week. Hospitalizations rising in at least 42 states. Deaths up almost 30%. By next weekend, the CDC predicts up to another million Americans could be infected, with December's biggest COVID worry still ahead, Christmas. A CBS News poll says that over the holiday season, despite the threat from both strains, two-thirds of Americans still plan to gather with friends and families. More than half will travel by car or dine in a restaurant. Just one in five say they've canceled plans because of Omicron. This is Grand Rapids, one of the nation's hotspots last holiday season. Michigan's now seeing an even higher number of cases, and that number is rising. The state's chief medical officer calls the situation critical.
1: Cases are surging, hospitals are full, and we have a new variant.
2: Military medics have jumped in the COVID front lines. 11 teams in five states. Other reinforcements in this fight, people getting booster shots. A new record average, more than 900,000 a day. Starting tomorrow, New York State has an indoor mask mandate for anywhere without a vaccination requirement.
5: I have to protect people, but also the economy.
2: An economy that suddenly feels vulnerable. The inflation rate is up almost 7% from this time last year, the highest annual increase in almost 40 years. Everything's up since last year, home prices, groceries, gas, which leaves COVID America coming to terms with a different kind of sticker shock.
1: That's Mark Strassman in Michigan. We go now to former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who sits on the board of Pfizer. Good morning to you. Good morning. So we see uh, certainly here in the north in in the northeast delta infections are picking up in New York. They're going to start requiring masks tomorrow indoors if vaccines aren't required for entry in the first place. Um, Do you think other governors should follow suit and start requiring masks?
8: Well, look, we've seen a delta wave course through most parts of this country. Right now, we're at about 36 cases per 100,000 people per day. To put that in perspective, about six weeks ago, we were at 20. Germany, which is having a very dense epidemic right now, is about 50 cases per 100,000 people per day. Most of those cases right now are being driven by very dense epidemics in the Great Lakes region and New England. I think in those parts of the country, it is prudent to start taking steps to try to control the spread. There are certain states like New Hampshire and Massachusetts where the health care systems are beginning to get pressed. Task mandates are the easiest thing we can do, sort of collective action that puts some downward pressure on spread. It would be a temporary measure just to try to preserve the health care systems at this point. Most of the country is through the Delta wave. And the reason why you're seeing cases go up so much right now is in part driven by the dense epidemics in these very populated states. But also you're seeing some uptick even in the states that have gotten through their Delta wave, in part because people are moving indoors because of the colder weather and the holidays.
1: So, you know, we looked at the data, and more than one in four adults is not fully vaccinated. Only one in four adults has received a booster. Can we blame the unvaccinated for the spread? Is something else driving this?
8: Well, the unvaccinated are certainly the individuals who are showing up in the health care system requiring advanced care. There probably is a reasonable amount of spread even among the vaccinated individuals at this point, particularly people who only have two doses of vaccine, probably are getting subclinical or mild infections and are contributing to the spread as well. But if we look at this time last year when we were dealing with a far less transmissible strain, we had about 120,000 hospitalizations. Now, with a far more transmissible strain, perhaps a strain that's slightly more virulent, we have 60,000 hospitalizations, still tragic, but the vaccines are having an impact on reducing hospitalizations and severe disease, which is really the thesis that we held out for these vaccines all along.
1: Mm-hmm. You were talking about another variant there, Omicron, that we've been speaking about in the past few weeks. Um, there's projections in the UK that it will very soon overtake Delta. They're taking some emergency measures there in Europe. Um, should we expect that wave to come here and overtake Delta as well?
8: Yeah, look, I think it's an open question. We can't really transfer the experience from one country to another because there's different levels of immunity in different populations, different countries, and also different states as you even move across the United States. The U.K. does look a lot like the U.S. in terms of having a lot of vaccine-induced immunity and a lot of immunity from prior infection, and also a lot of people who've been boosted and people who've been infected and then subsequently vaccinated, and they appear to have the best immunity against this new variant. What we're seeing in South Africa right now is the um, potential, the indication that this may be peaking in the hard-hit Gauteng province and Johannesburg and Pretoria. If that's the case, I think modelers are going to have to reassess some of the early estimates on perhaps when this first began. It might have been spreading furtively, and it, was, it went unnoticed initially, and we caught the peak of an epidemic or an epidemic that was well underway rather than the very beginning of an epidemic. And that might change some of the impressions about the transmissibility of this virus. The other possibility is that this coursed very quickly through a subset of the population that's excessively vulnerable to it, and we know it hit very hard people with prior Delta infection who are unvaccinated. So it may be that people who just have Delta-induced immunity are excessively vulnerable to this variant. This is going to take some time to figure out if, in fact, it is indeed peaking in Johannesburg. I think that's going to cause us to reflect on some of the modeling we've been doing.
1: We're going to look at that later on in the program. Thank you. Um, doctor, you know, Pfizer CEO said this week a Fourth dose of the mRNA vaccine might be needed against Omicron sooner rather than later. You know, there are so many vaccine skeptics out there Um, for those who say, oh, this is just big pharma trying to push vaccines. What is your explanation of the science here?
8: Well, he, he's talked about the fourth dose specifically in reference to immunocompromised individuals. And in fact, we know that some people who are immunocompromised organ transplant patients, for example, doctors are prescribing multiple doses for those patients because we know they don't get a good response to vaccines generally. And Israel's also looking at making a fourth dose available to a subset of the population who have immune-related disorders. Um, what he also talked about was the possibility that this is going to become an annual vaccine. And I yeah. do think that this is going to be for a period of time something that we have to get revaccinated for on an annual basis, in part because immunity wanes and in part because it's going to drift over time.
1: We'll be right back with the governor of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu, and a leading scientist from South Africa on that new variant. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car
9: shopping
6: by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you.
1: Welcome back to Face the Nation. We turn now to New Hampshire, where COVID cases are on the rise as temperatures drop. Governor Chris Sununu joins us from Newfields. Good morning to you, Governor. Good morning. Well, it is stunning to see hospitalizations in your state. They've jumped about 25% over the last two weeks. I know you've asked for help from the National Guard and help from FEMA. Uh, Why do you think you're seeing such a dramatic spike?
11: It's winter. It, it really is, and, and you know we've been planning for this winter surge since July. I had teams when we saw numbers increasing all across the southern part of the country. We had teams and CEOs of, of hospitals visiting other states to see how they were managing uh, kind of that summer delta surge so we could prepare. So unfortunately, we were right in that the surge is upon us, and what you see all across New England right now, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, are, are rising cases of the upper Midwest, and now you're seeing it more in the mid-Atlantic states, unfortunately, like New Jersey and New York. So ultimately, as winter comes, the seasonality, if you will, of this virus is really taking precedent. Uh, but we're prepared and we're trying a lot of different innovative things to flex uh, uh, the um, bed bed space and whatnot within the hospital system. It's really important that the
1: healthcare system is preserved. You said 20% of the hospitalized are vaccinated. Are they also boosted?
11: Uh, 20% of vaccine I can't tell you if, if that 20% in hospital is boosted. I can tell you uh, very likely not. I mean, the booster really minimizes to the point of fractions of a percent of a chance in terms of having a severity. The booster is so, so important, and it's why we're pushing out so strong. When the booster was first made available uh, in the first couple weeks, people really weren't uh, taking it. Now they're seeing the hospitalizations rise. They're seeing, unfortunately, their friends, neighbors, and coworkers come down with this very aggressive Delta variant. They're taking it a little more seriously, and we have a lot more folks going after the booster, which is hugely important in terms of not just preventing COVID, but most importantly, preventing the most severe aspects of COVID.
1: You got boosted yesterday, I understand. Why did you wait so long?
11: Well, we did a booster blitz yesterday, which was great. So frankly, it was, it was out of promotion uh, more than anything. <laughs> we uh, put about 12,000 needles in arms across the state all in one day in dozens of, of, of locations across the state. We'll do it again. Uh, you can only do those every once in a while because you don't want to draw off of the hospital system and the nurses and the frontline workers uh, that have to give that. So every few mm-hmm. weeks, we're going to do these booster blitzes. So if anything, it was more out of uh, the promotion of it, but it was a great day, huge, hugely successful, and we're going to do it again.
1: You heard Dr. Scott Gottlieb Just before you say, like one of the lightest lift health precautions you could possibly do is put in place a mask mandate. Why are you choosing not to do so?
11: Well, it's not necessarily a light lift. Look, masks are incredibly important. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Schools can do it. uh, Localities can do it if they want to. But when you look at all these different mandates that you can can or cannot put in place, there's always a downside as well. And we talk about the, the Swiss cheese effect, right? Social distancing, masks. The, uh, far and away, the most important thing is get vaccinated, get your boosters, uh, quick access to testing. These are all pieces of the puzzle to reduce the transmission of the virus. So it's just not a matter of whether we do it or not. And remember, you know a lot of these cases are are, are received over the holidays when you're spending time with family or you're or you're mm-hmm. at the workplace. and again, a mass isn't necessarily going to stop the family spread that we see a lot here. So it's not that it's not important. Um, but when you do a mandate through a state of emergency, uh, that that just takes on a whole different level. Uh, one of the most important things I think is is that uh, home testing. We're really aggressive. We're the first state in the country to allow home testing. Anyone in the in the state can click a button, and uh, in about three days, we put a million tests in people's homes. And I, I know that. A bit contradicts what the white house is pushing but i can tell you if folks have access to a test in their home and they can find out if they're positive or negative it really it takes just that one or two days that you're saving from getting your results back it can drastically reduce the transmission so we're going to keep doing programs like that and making sure that we bend this curve down over the winter surge
1: you talked about mask mandates not necessarily being a light lift. Um, in your state, you've had anti-vaccine protesters. I know you last year canceled your public ceremony for your own inauguration because of armed protesters uh, who objected to some of your health restrictions. Is that kind of physical backlash, that kind of security risk, why you are not putting in place a mask mandate?
11: Oh, no, 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 not It's not, not at a all. factor? Look, when, if, what, when, no no it's not a factor at all it's, it, that's a very small contingency so uh, at the end of the day you know you'd have to do a, sta- a full state of emergency and remember when i if i do a mask mandate as a governor remember almost no state has mask mandates right now but as a governor if you were to do that every district every county whether you have high transmission levels whether you're highly vaccinated or not it covers everybody and what you're really telling folks is thank you for making the sacrifice and getting the vaccine getting the boosters doing the right thing and you're still in the penalty box and the well, fact of the matter is, penalty COVID box. isn't likely no, going away just,
1: anytime soon. It's not a penalty box. Sure. I mean, for people with unvaccinated family members, small children, immunocompromised, it's just putting on a mask. Sure. So,
11: so, so yes. So let's. If I were to put a mask mandate in now, when do I undo it? COVID isn't going away for the next couple of years. We're gonna have Omicron. We're gonna have new variants. The fact of the matter is, How you about start the putting winter? restrictions in place today, you. You mean at at the end of the winter? And then it comes back again, and then the state emergency's on, and then it's off. Well, you said winter was the biggest factor driving things. So
1: keep a mask on for winter. Take it off in the warm weather.
11: Oh, and we strongly encourage folks to wear masks, especially when they're in close proximity, they're indoors, if schools wanna do it, absolutely. And I think we're having a lot of success, but that is just one small piece of the equation here. It's about vaccines, it's about boosters, it's about doing all the other things that you have to do to put into place to be successful. And if you look at states, Look, we're one of the most vaccinated states in the country. So is Vermont, Mm -hmm. right? States that have had mass orders. It's not an end all be all. You have to put all of these pieces uh, into the pie and understand that communities are different, schools are different, how we treat our our holiday gatherings might be different. And at the end of the day, it's about personal responsibility. Getting that vaccine, getting that booster, being smart about it, getting yourself tested early. All of these are the most important pieces of the puzzle to bending the curve and making sure we push back on
1: COVID understood i on that question of personal responsibility i you are very clearly encouraging people to go get a vaccine to go get a booster but your state is also suing the biden administration over the vaccine or test mandate for businesses and for health workers isn't that a mixed message aren't you concerned some of your constituents might misunderstand what you're communicating
11: no no not at all it's very clear if, if a business or something, or, or someone wants to put a, a mandate in place, that's one thing. But when the government starts mandating health choices for individuals, that uh, that doesn't that, that is a whole different ball game right there. And so whether it's the federal government or the state government, you shouldn't have mandates that impose vaccines. You shouldn't have mandates that don't allow vaccines. You've got to let businesses and individuals make that choice for themselves. And in New Hampshire, we're the live free or die state. We're the number one state for freedom. And we've also been able to balance the safety of COVID through all of these different surges, I think, better than, than most. We're at the front lines of the COVID surge right now, to be sure, but that's because we're at the front lines of winter, and unfortunately, we're going to see it through the the rest of the country as well, and we want to kind of lead by example, put some of these innovative pieces in place, like home Mm -hmm. testing or whatever it might be, uh, and hopefully have folks kind of follow along and and understand that we're in this for the long haul. This isn't just beating it back for the next 60 days. We're going to be dealing with COVID probably for the next couple years.
1: Governor, good luck to you with this surge, and thank you for your time today.
11: you, You bet. Thank you.
1: The Omicron variant has been detected in at least 57 countries around the world, but the Delta variant remains dominant. CBS News senior foreign correspondent, Elizabeth Palmer reports from Seoul, South Korea. Good morning.
5: The world is now in the middle of a fourth wave of this persistent virus. And with winter coming on, the biggest spikes are in the United States, Russia, and in Northern Europe. Germany has been hit hard especially Bavaria, where there's been a stubborn core of vaccine resistance. These patients are most likely sick with Delta, which is still the dominant variant worldwide. European governments have been trying hard to salvage a festive season for citizens who've had enough of lockdowns. Hungary allowed its traditional Christmas markets to open this year, as long as shoppers had valid vaccine passports. But everyone is braced for Omicron, which looks vastly more contagious. Britain's Health Security Agency warned Omicron infections may be neck and neck with Delta-1s in the UK by the end of next week. But in encouraging news, a British study showed a Pfizer booster on top of Pfizer or AstraZeneca initial shots offers good protection against the new mutation. In Côte d'Ivoire, West Africa, a musical summons to get vaccinated. There and everywhere around the world, health workers are rushing to get doses into arms. Currently, more than 35 million doses of the vaccine are being administered every day. It's impressive, but it's still not enough to end the pandemic.
1: Margaret? Elizabeth Palmer, thank you. We want to go now to Dr. Tulio de Oliveira. He leads a team of South African scientists that first reported Omicron to the World Health Organization. He joins us now from Stellenbosch, South Africa. Good morning.
12: Uh, Good morning.
1: You are seeing the impact of Omicron firsthand. Who is getting sick and is this mild or severe illness?
12: The Omicron, it's it's only a few weeks older. We we detect that very, very quick. We estimate that the date of origin of these variants, it is either end of October or beginning of November, normally take a few weeks between infection and the need for hospitalization. So what we saw in the last few days, it is an increase in admission, and that it is something that we are really looking very carefully at the data in South Africa.
1: Is it too early to say if the illness is mild?
12: The responsible way to say is that a little bit early to say that the, it's mild. What we're going to have to tease apart if the mild case is due to young people get infected or if the previous population immunity from infection and vaccination are responsible for, for de- decreasing the number of hospitalized individuals.
1: Is Omicron affecting small children Differently. We're seeing numbers of hospitalized children under the age of five in in South Africa. What's going on?
12: So, one thing that we know from the Omicron is that tend to to generate very high viral loads. What it means. It means that the infection, and because a very transmissible variant tend to have higher level of, of virus replication. So what we have seen in the beginning is large number of young children being hospitalized, but these numbers are being decreased as this variant starts spreading in the older population.
1: So does it affect children differently?
12: It is because it's a very highly transmissible variant, yeah. It tends to cause a high, high number of infections in children. So yeah. At the moment, it's difficult to tease if the rate of hospitalization of children on the beginning is due to the sheer number of infections in the younger population or if it is because it causes more severe disease, yeah? But one thing that we see is that the younger population presenting to the hospital is decreasing over time, especially in the last few days.
1: Do you believe that you are past the peak of infection in South Africa? Because recent trends are suggesting there's a slowing,
12: we, we do not know, and one should always be very careful to look at individual um, day, daily tests. What one has to do is to look at the general trend over 7 or 14 days. What we know is that uh, the last week, we were in the highest number of infections from Omicron. Yeah, And what we're going to be doing is looking very carefully at the data. Potentially, Hauteng and Johannesburg may have peaked, but what we have seen is that this has spread for the other eight provinces. South Africa has nine provinces. The numbers are increasing and are increasing very fast.
1: At least two dozen countries have travel restrictions on South Africa. Dr. Fauci here in the U.S. said America would like to lift it as soon as they have uh, evidence to justify it. Do you believe the travel ban can be safely lifted now?
12: Yes, of course. First, travel bans, uh, they do not work. And you're going to re- remember one of your previous presidents that was the first one to put a travel ban to China and the United States of America end up with the higher number of infected individuals of SARS-CoV-2 and with the highest death toll in the in, in the world. And not only travel bans do not work, but they also will disencourage scientists like us that have been brave enough to identify a variant that have emerged like a week or two after that emerged. I personally have talked to Tony Fauci many times in the last few weeks, and we both agree that not only the travel bans should be uh, released because not effective, but will disencourage the rest of the world to become public in key crucial data that can help the response to the pandemic. All right.
1: Dr., Doctor- Good luck with your research. Thank you for your time today. We'll be right back.
12: Okay, picture this.
9: It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around? Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. We learned last week that inflation is rising at the fastest rate in nearly four decades. We go now to Mohamed Alarian, Chief Economic Advisor for Alianza, Financial Services Company, and he joins us this morning from Philadelphia. Good to have you here.
10: Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, the White House says that this number we just got, the 6.8% inflation figure, is backward-looking because gas prices are coming down right now. Do you think that we've actually passed peak inflation?
10: So it is a backward-looking number. I don't think we have peak, we have passed peak inflation. And that's despite all the efforts that the White House are, is putting in. To limit inflation. I think we're going to see inflation stay around that level for a while. How long? A few months. You know, we're seeing a very interesting transition. The original driver of inflation, supply disruptions, labor shortages, the driver is still there, but less powerful. But the driver has planted all these other seeds for other sources of inflation. And that's not a problem because of what The White House is or is not doing. This is a problem because of what the Federal Reserve is failing to do.
1: Well, the Federal Reserve Chair, Jay Powell, has said he will retire that word transitory. It sounds like you are saying that word should not be used at all, period.
10: Yeah, I've been saying this for months. The the characterization of inflation as transitory is probably the worst inflation call in the history of the Federal Reserve. And it results in a high probability of a policy mistake. So the Fed must quickly, starting this week, regain control of the inflation narrative and regain its own credibility. Otherwise, it will become a driver of higher inflationary expectation that feed onto to themselves.
1: That's an incredible thing to say, not just about the Fed chair, but the treasury secretary is a former Fed chair herself. Why do you think that they are both fundamentally wrong.
10: Well, I think the numbers have proven that transitory inflation was a mischaracterization. The Fed never expected inflation to be at 6.8 percent. If you look at all the projections they made this year, they were way below this. So they fundamentally misanalyzed the inflation. Now, that's not a problem if they catch up now. If they're honest about their mistake and take steps now, they can still regain control of it.
1: So the Fed has uh, a meeting this coming week, Um, as you know, they've been undertaking these emergency programs because of the pandemic, buying something like 100 billion in bonds each month. Are you saying they need to hit the brakes hard right now in order to get control?
10: No, I'm saying that in order to avoid hitting the brakes hard, because if you've hit the brake hard in a few months, there's a risk you send this economy into recession and it would be unnecessary harm to livelihoods. What they need to do now, Margaret, is ease their foot off the accelerator. There is no reason why they should be injecting so much liquidity. There is so, no reason why they should be boosting the housing market at a time when house prices are pricing Americans out of buying homes. They should ease their foot off the accelerator in order to avoid slamming on the brakes later on.
1: And raising rates, when do we talk about that?
10: oh, we should be starting to talk about that now. There is the possibility that they may have to raise rates. Look, it's important to stop inflation being embedded into the system because two things happen when inflation gets embedded. One, you lose purchasing power and the poor suffer the most. Second, you get a Fed overreaction and then you get a recession and then you get income losses. So you really want to navigate this process in a timely and orderly way.
1: So if I look at what's happening around the country right now, we've talked about devastation that just happened in the midsection of this country due to these incredible tornadoes. Then I look at the Northeast and I see covid spiking and all the uncertainty it brings with that. How much are these crises going to impact the growth that the White House tells us again and again is very promising and ultimately showing uh, a healthy economy?
10: It's certainly a risk, but it's not the baseline. The underlying strength of the economy is undeniable. You see this in the labor market. Um, You see this in what companies are doing. So the underlying strength of this economy is absolutely undeniable, but you want to be careful that you don't create more headwinds through policy mistakes. So we can deal with these really unfortunate shocks We still have enough momentum, but we don't have enough momentum to overcome a policy mistake.
1: When you listen to the business community, which has been warning about inflation for some time, um, you also hear people say this nightmare scenario of 1970s-era inflation. Are people overreacting when they make that comparison, or is it fair?
10: So I'm going to give you a mixed answer. They're not overreacting in terms of the dynamics, which is a supply shock. This time it was supply disruptions and labor shortages. In the 70s, it was the oil shock causing other drivers of inflation. But they are overreacting when when they say we're going to get to double-digit inflation. We're not going to get to double-digit inflation. We risk staying high inflation in the five to six level, and that's much higher for what the economy and the financial markets are priced for. So we've got to be really careful.
1: When it comes to to fiscal policy and what the president is doing, you're saying inflation is global, so it's not all on President Biden's shoulders. But you have at least one prominent Democratic senator saying, we can't go ahead with more congressional spending bills right now because inflation is a risk.
10: Should we be worried about that? No, on the contrary. What is on the table in terms of fiscal fundamentally addresses the two problems we have. One is labor force participation. If you look at what is in the bill, that encourages more people to participate in the labor force, and that addresses labor shortages and productivity over the longer term. And the second one is climate. So no, we should not step back from that bill. We should go forward because actually that bill is part of the solution, it's not part of the problem.
1: All right, uh, thank you so much for your analysis and we will all be watching that Fed meeting later this week. Before we go, we do wanna note the passing of Kansas Republican Senator Bob Dole, who passed away last Sunday. We thank him for his service to the nation and for the many times he appeared on this broadcast to talk politics or policy. Until next week, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir. Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, Dr. Tulio de Oliveira of the Center for Epidemic Response and Innovation in South Africa, and the Chief Economic Advisor of Alliance, Mohamed Alarian. The executive producer, Face the Nation's Mary Hager. The broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation's also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 10.30 a.m., 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern, every Sunday.
0: If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go,
13: in the US. Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts